those of you who were with us at the beginning of the year, did any of you remember these that I passed out? A few of you? Um, we, we set out a course of, of, this, of this year to be mindful, to be in Scripture and in prayer. And one of the things we did was pass these out where you could write down your prayer requests with dates and then God's answer. And this sits on my desk every, every day I get to see it. Um, I, I'm not going to ask how many of you got one and have been faithful to, to, to use it throughout this year. Uh, I, I hope you have. If you haven't, uh, we'll have some printed this week so you can pick up uh, next week. It's really, really, really important uh, to be mindful of your needs, desires, and your prayers and how God is faithful to answer and to not answer because both are part of his sovereignty. Uh, and as I was looking at mine, I just, I just filled one out, a little section, but you know, I've got I've got quite a few on a couple pages, um, and it's it, it, the first one I wrote down was last November 18, uh, and the last one I just wrote down was November 11, and so it's been a year, you know, that I've been, and it's so interesting. I have 18 of these that have been um, near and dear to my heart for me and my family uh, that I've been praying for that I can look back and and have answers to uh, where God intervened, and it's it's it's. It gives me great occasion to stop. And as Psalm 69, 30 says, I will praise God's name and song and glorify him with thanksgiving. This week, we're focused on thanksgiving as a nation. Daily, the Christ follower focuses on thanksgiving because of what God's done. I just want to encourage you with that. Pick one of those. If you don't have one, pick one up next week. We'll have some printed. If you got one last year or at the beginning of this year and haven't been using it, start. Uh, in this series, Unstoppable, we're going through the book of Acts. And we're at that portion in Acts where everybody else of, of the apostles kind of goes, falls to the shadows. And Paul, who is known as Saul, comes to preeminence. And really, it's the story of what God does through his life from this point on through the rest of the book of Acts. Paul will take three missionary journeys, the first of which we see in Acts 13 and 14. We looked at Acts 13 last week. We're going to look at Acts 14 this week. Continuing on with his missionary journey, the first missionary journey, Paul is about 50 years old. Uh, when he starts his missionary work in planting churches. Uh, and what that tells me is that you're, you're never too old to, for God to call you and for you to start doing something. Paul, Paul left his career, in essence, left his prestige, left his security, left everything because God got a hold of his life. And he put all that stuff on a back burner and allowed God to do some incredible things through him and with him. So in his 50s, he starts these missionary journeys. He takes three of them that end up uh, culminating in his imprisonment in Rome and his martyrdom. It has a lot to tell us about what it means to be a Jesus follower. It has a lot to tell us about the kingdom of God. And so I just want to unpack this chapter, and I'm doing something different in my teaching. I'm not putting the verses on the screen because I have created the opportunity 
for my church to be lazy and to not bring their Bibles because I've provided it all for you and I'm done with that. Plus, I don't like typing them all out every week, every little verse. It's just is mind-numbing. And so if, you have, if you're old school and have a paper Bible, bring it, open it. Acts 14 is on page 1,172 in my Bible, if that helps you. If you have a paper Bible, I encourage you to bring a pen with you and a highlighter. If you don't have a paper Bible with you, you've got a smart device. So it's easy to find there. And if you don't have any of those, look at your neighbor because someone's got one around you. And so I'm just going to make the reference to the verse and I'm going to read it. Then we're going to jump into some things. As we go through this, here's what I want you to do. I'm going to bring up a lot of applications. As we go through this, this every week when you come, as we go through the scripture together, when there's one little application point that kind of pricks your heart, just kind of camp out on that. I don't mean check out. I mean camp out. That's probably God saying this is, there's something about this that is your next step. There's something about this that is, that is the development of your discipleship. So when, when I bring these out, just kind of which one kind of pricks your heart, okay, and just camp out on that. So let me just read the first four verses here in verse, uh, chapter 14. At Iconium, Paul and Barnabas went as usual to the Jewish synagogue. Let me just stop right there. Synagogues, the network of synagogues, that was developed during the captivity when the ten, uh, or, sorry, when, when, the, when, the, when the southern tribes were taken into captivity into Babylon. Uh, they were taken into captivity, and, 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 and they developed this, these, this synagogue system, basically little churches. When they came back into, the, in, into Israel, those two northern tribes that, that, that really came back proliferated this synagogue system. And these little, these little, in essence, we would call them little churches, popped up all around communities. And they consisted of people of like mind, of, 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 of like culture, where they would go and worship God together. And around Jerusalem, they were, they were popping up like mad. I mean, it was, it was like being in the Bible Belt, you know, where there was, there was a church on every corner. That's what it was like. The synagogues just started to, from Jerusalem spreading out over year after year after year, 100 years. They just keep spreading, spreading, spreading. So as usual, Paul and Barnabas go to the synagogue, there they spoke so effectively that a great number of Jews and Gentiles believed. But the Jews who refused to believe stirred up the Gentiles and poisoned their minds against the brothers. Verse 3, so Paul and Barnabas spent considerable time there speaking boldly for the Lord who confirmed the message of his grace by enabling them to do miraculous signs and wonders. The people of the city were divided. Some sided with the Jews, others with the apostles. So, so they're, 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 they're teaching about Jesus, him crucified, him resurrected, the kingdom of God. Um, and, uh, and some people started poisoning the minds so they wouldn't believe. So as a result, Paul and Barnabas said, let's just camp out here in this city a little bit and keep teaching and preaching. And God decided to confirm their word by signs and wonders and miracles. Now, I know that a lot of people will say, why don't we see those today, like we saw, saw in, the first, in the first century? Well, let me just be clear with you. The book of Acts covers about 30 years. 
uh, and there's about 30 miracles in the book of Acts. About one per year. Now it reads as though you'll get a miracle and you'll get a miracle and you'll get a miracle. That's not how it went down. Maybe one a year or so. And honestly, you look at the, the church in the world today and that's, that's not out of the ordinary. We see that all over the place. But we have to be careful in thinking that why doesn't God duplicate what he did back then today? We've got to be very careful about that. Here's, here's what I want us to understand. Even miracles don't convince everybody. God did miracles through Paul and Barnabas, and God still does miracles today. I firmly believe that. He has the right and the authority to overrule any natural law because he's over all of that. And he did that through them. But, but even in the midst of these miracles, people didn't believe. The Bible says that faith comes not by miracles, but faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. So this right here is what God uses to create faith in people, not miraculous signs. Because even when the miraculous signs happen, some people are not, are not going to believe. And when you go back to the first century, they didn't have the New Testament. And so as these people were proclaiming God's word, the only, one of the only ways that God had to affirm their message was through miraculous signs. Now we have his word that confirms the message. The Bible says in the past, God spoke to us through the prophets, and now he's spoken to us through his son. And his son is revealed in his word. Does that make sense? So now all God says is, well, I've already given you proof. It's in my word. Now God can still override natural laws in miracles, and he does, but we have to be careful not to seek out the miracles like we see in the first century because God isn't about the business of duplication. All we have to do is just enjoy whatever God does or allows and not try to duplicate what he's done in the past. Does that make sense? Just enjoy what he's doing or allowing now. When I was going through this this week, my mind flashed back to Psalm 77, verses 11 and 12. It says, I will remember your deeds of the past, O Lord. I will recount your miracles of long ago. I will meditate on all your works. I'm going to remember what he did long ago. And that's one reason why I encourage you to do this. I will remember your deeds of long ago. I will meditate on all your works. Why? Because it tells me who you are. And when I understand who you are, I have faith for the present, even when I can't see your hand right now. Does that make sense? And so, and so part of the role of the disciple is to just enjoy and rest in what God is doing or allowing right now. And not like, God, do what you did in the past, bring it back, blah, blah, blah. Because like, I'm not, I don't duplicate what I've already done. Just enjoy what I'm doing now. Remember what I've done and enjoy what I'm doing now. We good? So, so as we go through this, look at verse uh, 5, 6, and 7. There was a plot afoot among the Gentiles and Jews together with their leaders to mistreat them and stone them. But they found out about it and fled to the Laconium cities of Lystra and Derby and to the surrounding country, where they continued to preach the good news. So they do miracles. Some people love it. Some people hate it. They make a plan to kill these guys. They find out about it, and they leave. Now, Paul and Barnabas are not above persecution. I mean, they've experienced it before. But they're not gluttons for punishment either. So they're like, you know what? We're out. As they went, what, 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 what did they do? What, what's the end of verse 7 say? What did they do? They continued to what? They continued to preach the good news. 
See, all they did was continue to talk about Jesus. The reason why the kingdom of God and the church in the first century was unstoppable because all they did was talk about Jesus. Things go well, they talked about Jesus. Things go bad, they talked about Jesus. They were successful, they talked about Jesus. They were defeated, they talked about Jesus. It was up and to the right, they talked about Jesus. It was negative, they talked about Jesus. All they did was talk about Jesus. That's why they were so unstoppable because all they did was talk about Jesus. I wonder why the church today is so anemic and stoppable. Because we talk about a lot of things, rarely is it Jesus. The reason the church has been so weak as of late is because we talk more about politics than we have about Christ. All they did. You're going to celebrate me? I'm going to tell you about Jesus. You're going to throw rocks at me? I'm going to tell you about Jesus. You're going to put me in jail? I'm going to tell you about Jesus. You're going to set me free? I'm going to talk about Jesus. Unstoppable. All they did. I wonder, and this is not an indictment on any one of us. That's just a curious question. I wonder how many times when we get together with each other, how much we talk about other things other than Jesus. I wonder if the antidote to our doubt, the antidote to our fear, the antidote to our anxiety, the antidote to our stress is if we would just talk about Jesus. This seems to be the standard of the model throughout the New Testament and throughout the disciples of Christ that were unstoppable. Let's talk about Jesus. Like I said, just pay attention to these little application points because the Holy Spirit's going to prick your heart about one of them. And when the Holy Spirit does that, just kind of camp there for a little bit because he might be saying something that he wants you to pay attention to. Verses 8 through 10. In Lystra, there sat a man crippled in his feet who, had, who was lame from birth and had never walked. He listened to Paul as he was speaking. Paul looked directly at him saw that he had faith to be healed and called out, stand up on your feet. At that, the man jumped up and began to walk. This is really interesting to me. In Lystra, there's a guy crippled, never been able to walk. Paul's preaching. He listened to Paul. And what's the Bible say? Paul what? Saw that he had faith. How do you see that someone has faith? There's something about, there's something about the person that is hearing the message that sits on the edge of their seat like something, there's an expectation, there's an eagerness. This guy wasn't one of these who goes to church and sits and you understand? This guy wasn't one of those that goes to church and gets this. You understand? He saw that he had faith. Here's what I know. When faith is present, it is apparent. When faith is present, it is apparent. It matters the attitude and expectation that we bring with us 
When we open up God's word, it matters. The attitude and expectation we bring with us when we can, doesn't matter who's up here. It matters what's in here of the hearer. The expectation, God is going to do something. He's going to speak something. He's going to show something. He's going to reveal something. He's going to move something and they cannot wait. I'm ready. There's an expectation. Paul saw that he had faith. And all Paul did, he simply called out the faith that the man already possessed. Paul didn't heal this guy. This man had the faith to be healed. It was in him. Paul gave him an opportunity to exercise the faith that he already possessed. Do you understand that? It's very important to understand this. That all Paul did was give him an opportunity to express the faith that he already had. Here's what I know. Faith that is not acted on remains only a hope. Some of you have hope and some of you have prayers of what God will do and you've never acted on it and so it remains only a hope. This man had hope that God could do something in his life and had he not acted on it, it would have only remained a hope. He would have been wheeled out of there like he was wheeled in there having never walked. And there are plenty of Christ followers who have prayer and who have hope, but do not have obedience and do not have actions of faith. And their prayers and hopes remain prayers and hopes, never answered. This is the truth across the board for every Christ follower. God, I have prayer and hope that you change my marriage. Well, why don't you become a different spouse? And that'll happen. I have prayer and hope that God will heal my finances. Well, why don't you act in faith and act biblically with your money and your finances will be healed? This is the truth in every area. Faith that's present and unacted on remains only hope. And there are probably some of you this morning that need to hear this word that have had prayer and hope about a lot of things, but you've never acted in obedience or you've never acted in faith. Eleven, twelve, thirteen. When the crowd saw that what Paul had done, they shouted in the Laconian language, the gods have come down to us in human form. Barnabas they called Zeus and Paul they called Hermes because he was the chief speaker. The priest of Zeus, whose temple was just outside the city, brought bulls and reeds to the city gates because he and the crowd wanted to offer sacrifices to them. This is really weird. They called Barnabas Zeus. Now, in, in, in mythology, Zeus was, he was the big dude. Like, he was bigger than other little gods and stuff, and he was in charge. And so Barnabas was probably a big dude. He was in charge. He was, you know, kind of the leader of these two at this point. Hermes was the guy who spoke on behalf of Zeus, and Paul was the one speaking all the time, so they figured. And this is why they said that they were these two gods. They had this, this, this legend among them, the, the, the people uh, of Lystra. They had this legend among them that years prior, decades prior, centuries prior, that Zeus and Hermes came down to their city in human form and walked among them. And nobody recognized them nor honored them as gods. And so this made Zeus and Hermes upset. There was one couple in the city that did recognize them as gods and honored them as such. So as Zeus and Hermes, this is how their legend goes. As Zeus and Hermes were leaving, they cursed the city and killed nearly everyone in it, except these two that honored them as gods. And they said, you two will live a long and happy life together. And when you die, you will become great trees. 
Well, outside the temple of Zeus in Lystra, there were two great big trees. And the people said, that's those people that honored Zeus and Hermes. And so this is their folklore about these two trees, about Zeus and Hermes. So now when Paul and Barnabas show up and Paul heals somebody like this, what do they think? They came back. And dadgummit, if we're not going to honor them this time, we don't want to get killed or become trees. So that's why they bring in all these bulls to sacrifice and these reeds to, you know, to lay at their feet and everything. And, and so Paul and Barnabas are realizing this. And verse 14 and following, look at this, 14 and 15. But the apostles, Barnabas and Paul, heard of this. When they heard of this, they tore their clothes and rushed out into the crowd, shouting, men, why are you doing this? We too are only men, human like you. We are bringing you good news, telling you to turn from these worthless things to the living God who made heaven and earth and sea and everything in them. See, Paul and Barnabas remembered what we read about in Acts 12, when Herod uh, was prideful, and he came out to the, to the people, and he shone, the, the, the sun kind of bounced off his clothes, and they honored him as a god, and he accepted all that. And what happened? Do you remember? He got worms, and five days later, they ate him from the inside out. And Paul and Barnabas was like, no, 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 no. <laughs> like, you don't know how this goes when people, uh-uh. Like, for our sakes, please don't do this. <laughs> And they did not at all want to trample on the glory of God. Because the Bible says he will not share his glory with anybody. Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord. He'll lift you up. And so they say, what are you doing? We're men like you. We're bringing you good news, telling you to turn from the worthless things. See, here, here's all things, no matter what it is that we pursue, that take God's place or God's priority are worthless things, no matter how good you think they are. If they take the place of God, if they take the priority of God, they become worthless. Am I clear on that? Turn to the living God. Don't let anything run your life other than him. It's worthless. He says he made heaven and earth and sea and everything in them. Well, this didn't come from these, these Zeus. There's a living God that has produced all this. Now, look, look what this goes on. Verses 16, 17, and 18. In the, this is what Paul says. In the past, God let all nations go their own way, yet he has not left himself without testimony. Here's his testimony. The testimony of God is this, verse in 17. He has shown kindness by giving you rain from heaven and crops in their seasons. He provides you with plenty of food and fills your hearts with joy. Even with these words, they had difficulty keeping the crop from sacrificing to them. He said, listen, all these things that you think come from other hands, they come from God. And God, it being a gentleman, I've heard that said before, God's a gentleman. He won't force himself on anybody. If you want to walk away from God, God will let you walk away from him. He doesn't want you to, but he's not going to force you. So if you want to walk away from God, walk away from God. But he does not leave himself without testimony. And the testimony to God, to him being alive, to him being sovereign, to his goodness, to his mercy and grace, can be seen clearly in what he has done. He's the one who gives you rain. He's the one who gives you crops. He's the one who gives you food. He's the one who gives you joy. All those things come from the originator of those things, which is a living God. 
See, here's what I know. God's goodness and grace can easily be seen in our everyday blessings. And when you look for him, you'll see him. See, this was, this was part of the, 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 the sin in the Garden of Eden with Adam and Eve. Not only were they disobedient to God, but, but the reason, one of the reasons they were disobedient to God is because the devil got them to change their focus from abundance to scarcity. In other words, God has said, I provided all of this, all these trees for you to eat from. Eat from anyone you want except this one. The devil comes along and he's like, what, really? There's one you can't have? Don't look at all what God has done. Look at the one he's kept from you. And Adam and Eve, like us, we start looking at what we don't have, at what hasn't been provided, of what we feel like we lack, of what isn't good enough. And rather than realizing the expression of God's mercy and his grace and his goodness and his benevolence and all the things that he's given, we start looking at, but if I only had that, if I only had that, if I only had that, and our mindset changes from appreciation and gratitude and thankfulness to the graciousness of God in the everyday blessings to those things that we don't have. You understand how this works? We all do it. We do it in a lot of different ways. Pastors are terrible at this. Pastors are horrible at this. Pa- pastors, I, call, I, I talk about pastors, like, like pastors commit the sin of ecclesiastical pornography all the time. Let me tell you what that means so you don't get too worried. Ecclesiology is the study of the church. Church pornography. You know what pornography is. Looking at something that you think looks a little better and wanting that. Pastors do this all the time. Pastors look at other churches all the time. That's a bigger church. That's a better church. That's a better location. I like their people. I want that church. I want that position. I want that role. You understand what I'm saying? Isn't this what we do? And God says, if you just stop and realize that, look around at how much I've already done, that I've already given you. God, you woke up this morning. Every morning I praise God that in his mercy, that he has restored the breath in my life. So just look around at what God's done. There's a living God, and his goodness can be seen all around you. Don't miss it. Then some Jews came from Antioch to Iconium and won the crowd over. They stoned Paul and dragged him outside the city, thinking he was dead. (laughs) Have you ever been around fickle people? Listen, please pay attention. From verses 11 to 19, don't believe or trust what the crowds say about you. They will praise you and then they'll try to kill you. That's what they did. Like, you guys are gods. We're going to have a barbecue in your honor. And then they're throwing rocks at them. Like, don't, don't believe what the crowds say about you or post about you. You, you, you can be a champion and a hero in one moment and the next breath. They 
They stoned Paul, dragged him outside the city thinking he was dead. Listen, I tell men all the time, you got nothing to prove and no one to impress. You start living for the audience of your crowd and that's a fool's errand. They're going to kill you. We all know what it's like. Things go well. People think we're great. And the next day something happens and all of a sudden you go from hero to zero in no time flat. They stoned him and left him outside the city thinking he was dead. I think Paul references this, this very act later in 2 Corinthians. If you look at 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 12, Paul will say this. Turn to it here. 2 Corinthians 12, starting verse 2. He says, I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago was caught up to the third heaven. Now, he's talking about himself. He doesn't want to brag, so he kind of uses a third-party thing. Because I know a guy, he's talking about him. He said it was caught up to the third heaven. Now, this isn't some crazy Mormon thing that they it's completely wrong where they think there's three heavens. There's the first, biblically, there's the first heaven, which is the, the sky where the birds and the clouds live. There's a second heaven, which is where the planets are. There's a third heaven, which is the abode of God. So he's saying, I know a guy, it's me, by the way, but I'm not going to claim it's me because I don't want to get, I don't, I don't think I, I got a big head, who was caught up to the abode of God. Whether it was in the body or out of the body, I don't know. God knows. Whether I was dead or alive, I can't even tell you. And I know this that this man, whether in the body or apart from the body, I do not know, but God knows. In other words, again, I'm telling you, I don't know if I was alive or dead, was caught up uh, to paradise. He heard inexpressible things, things that man is not permitted to tell. He's talking about when he was stoned there in Acts 14. And he, he's in this place where he doesn't even know if he's alive or dead. All he knows is that he is having, or he had, this incredible encounter with God in heaven. And he says, it's so inexpressible, I can't even explain it to you. You're like, seriously, you can't, what? Like, you can tell us all about your little missionary journeys and people throwing stones at you. You can't tell us about heaven? He said, I'm not permitted to. It's so incredible, I can't even explain to you. I can't even put it into words. This is what he's talking about here. And he has this incredible experience. But he's left for it, and when he's left for it, he has this experience. Now, watch what happens in verse 20. Watch what happens in verse 20. But after the disciples had gathered around him, he got up and went back into the city. He's stoned, he's left for dead, and his huddle gathers around him. And he's revived. Pay attention, here's what I know. When I feel like I'm dying, it matters who's around me. When you feel like you're dying, it matters who's around you. Because some people will keep throwing stones. It matters who's around you. When you're at those times, and it feels like, God, I just want out. I need to, I'm going to walk out. I'm done. I've had enough. I can't take it anymore. I can't take this. I can't take these people. I can't take this pain. I can't take the process. I'm, I'm done. You feel like you're on death. You feel like you're on, it's time to quit. You feel like it's time, it matters who's around you. Because some people are going to keep throwing stones at you because they cannot wait to see your demise. They can't wait to see you walk out. It matters who's around you. 
And you need people in your huddle who's going to see that you are on your last leg and come around you and say, let's get up and do this together. Your huddle matters. And it also matters, it matters who you are when you're around those who are dying, ready to quit. Are you one of those that joins in the crowd and throws stones? Or are you one of those that says, oh, no, 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 no. If no one else does, I will be by your side and walk with you and pick you up, right? Paul's huddle mattered. They gathered around him, got up, where'd he go? He went right back to where they were throwing stones at him. Unfreaking stoppable. You're going to honor me? Unstoppable. You're going to chastise me? Unstoppable. You're going to lift me up? Unstoppable. You're going to throw stones at me? Unstoppable. And then the next day they left for Derby. <laughs> Let's go. Verse 21 22. They preached the good news in that city and won a large number of disciples. Then they returned to Lystra, Iconium, and Antioch, strengthening the disciples and encouraging them to remain true to the faith. And this was his encouragement. We must go through many hardships to enter the kingdom of God. So they preached the news of Jesus in Derby. People come to faith. And then it says they returned to Lystra the place where they were stoned, the place where he was left for dead. He went back. He got up, went into the city, and the next day left for Derby, did work there, then went back to Lystra. Why would you go back? Because you are a disciple of the unstoppable kingdom. And you got one thing to talk about. Guess what it is? Are you going to throw rocks at me again? I got up the first time. I'll get up the second time. Let's go. Unstoppable. To go back to the place where people try to kill you. Unstoppable disciple. Serving an unstoppable kingdom. And he went back and encouraged them with what words? To remain faithful because they're going to go through what? He doesn't say, hey, listen, be encouraging of good cheer. You are highly favored. He doesn't say that. He doesn't say you are blessed and highly favored in the Lord. He doesn't say that. He doesn't say, don't worry about it. God's going to take care of it. Romans 8, 28, you haven't read it yet, but I'm going to write it. All things are work together for your good. It's, it's coming. He doesn't say that. He doesn't say, don't worry, God's got you. He's never going to put more on you than he puts in. He doesn't say that. He doesn't say, hey, be encouraged. Daniel went through the lion's den. Shadrach, Meshach, and Meshach went through the furnace. Noah went through the flood. You're going to be okay. He doesn't say any of that. He says, be encouraged. You're going to go through hardship. Be faithful. That's the encouragement? Yeah, that's the encouragement. 
Because that's what it's going to take for the unstoppable kingdom to take root in the world. Your kingdom come, your will be done. That's what it takes to be a disciple following Jesus. Be encouraged. You're going to go through hardship. This was Paul's testimony throughout the rest of his life. You're going to endure hardship. Endure it well. All the way to the very last epistle that he ever wrote. We have it in our Bibles known as as 2 Timothy. The last epistle Paul wrote to his protege Timothy, when Paul is in jail in Rome, waiting his beheading, he writes one final letter to Timothy. It's the last thing he wrote. And in that, he says, Timothy, I know you're getting ready to go into the ministry. You're going to walk the path I walked. Let me encourage you. And this is what he says in verses 3, 4, 5, 6 of 2 Timothy 2. Endure hardship. With us, like a good soldier of Christ Jesus. No one serving as a soldier gets involved in civilian affairs. He wants to please his commanding officer. Similarly, if anyone competes as an athlete, he does not receive the victor's crown unless he competes according to the rules. The hardworking farmer should be the first to receive a share of the crops. He says, look, endure hardship, it's coming. He says, endure hardship like a soldier, like a good soldier. There, there, there's no soldier that goes into boot camp taking his bing bag and his PlayStation. Because they go into it and know that they're going to face hardship. There's no soldier that goes into battle concerned about civilian stuff because a distracted soldier is killed. Endure hardship. It's coming. You signed up for this. Endure hardship like a good soldier. Don't get involved in the other stuff. Obey your commanding officer. Please your commanding officer. Endure hardship. And then he says, endure hardship like an athlete. He's not talking about a weekend warrior pickleball player. He's talking about an Olympic athlete. He says, you don't get to be an Olympian without enduring hardship. If you want to be an elite athlete, Nick Saban says, you don't have freedom. You don't have the freedom to choose how late you stay up or how early or how late you sleep in. You don't have the freedom to eat whatever you want. You don't have the freedom to exercise or not. There are some things you have, you must choose to get rid of. There are some things you must choose to adopt. You do not have freedom if you want to be an elite athlete. That's what he's saying. So endure hardship. And then he says, endure hardship like a, like a farmer. Because here's the truth about farmers. The soldier endures hardship and is a hero. The athlete endures hardship and is a champion. The farmer endures hardship and is lonely and dirty. The soldier and the athlete have teammates. The farmer works alone. Endure hardship. The farmer works and toils and works and toils and works and toils. And the only thing the farmer gets is a community saying, give me more, give me more, give me more. When have we ever written thank you notes to the farmers for the work they've done, the harvest they produce? When do we ever buy them gifts say, hey, happy Farmer's Day. Let's celebrate you. How can we bless? We don't do that. Why? Because a farmer's job is done in isolation and loneliness and toil and sweat and tears, fighting not just the crop, but fighting the things that are uncontrollable about weather and vermin, and yet they're faithful to the task. And Paul says, be faithful. Endure hardship like a farmer because sometimes you're going to have nobody cheering you. And you're fighting against unseen elements you can't control. Be faithful. This is discipleship. This is the unstoppable kingdom. And that's chapter 14. 
Now, next week, we're going to get chapter 15. And there is a quantum shift that happens in Paul. And he answers a question that every person and every religion tries to answer. And it's going to shape the rest of his life, the rest of his ministry, and every bit of his writing. And we're going to see in chapter 15. But before we get there, my encouragement to you is to endure hardship and become unstoppable. Here's what I know. There are soldiers of faith in this place. Endure hardship like a good soldier. There are athletes of faith in this place. Endure hardship like a champion. There are farmers of faith in this place. Endure hardship. Toil. Your harvest is plentiful. Be unstoppable. Why don't you pray with me? Father, thank you. You are a good God. You've always been a good God. And you invited us into this with you. Thank you. Father, my prayer in this place for us and those who hear my voice, I, I pray that you continue to raise up good soldiers who fight the good fight of faith as a good soldier, wanting only to please you. Keep us from being distracted by civilian affairs. Raise up people who are athletes in the faith, who beat and buffet their bodies so that it will obey. That we will run the race of faith and not grow weary. And we'll make it to the finish line. God, there are people in this place who are farmers of faith. And we toil. We do the work oftentimes in isolation that nobody sees but everybody wants a piece of. Help us toil and endure hardship as a productive farmer for your kingdom's sake. Father, you got people in this place, you got people who can hear my voice that, 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 that just want to do it well. Give us strength and faith Commitment, perseverance, hope, joy, patience to do the work you've called us to do. God, we serve you and your unstoppable kingdom. You are our Father. Hallowed be your name. May your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it already is in heaven. We trust you for our daily sustenance. Father, forgive us our debts as we have already forgiven our debtors. Lead us not into temptation. Deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom. Yours is the power. Yours is the glory. 
And Jesus, before your name, every knee will bow and every tongue confess that you are Lord. God, thank you for your everyday blessings. We trust you. We look forward to with anticipation to what it is you're continuing to do in us, in our midst, and through us. This is the day you have made. Huh. We'll rejoice and be glad in it. In the name of Jesus, we pray these things. Amen.